You're listening to the one-on-one with Juan and Only Sports podcast. I'm your host, Theo Juan. Welcome to season two of the podcast. This season, we're going to be looking at the stories and lives of the players, coaches, and personalities that make up the world of Ultimate. Each week, I will talk to a new guest, and we will talk about their journey into Ultimate, what their life in Ultimate looks like, their most memorable games, and a fun rapid-fire segment to end the episode. If you like the podcast, I would love for you to subscribe and drop a review and get the word out about the podcast to others. Your support is truly appreciated. New episodes come out every Tuesday. This episode is brought to you by Flatball Collective. Want to show your love for Ultimate and Disc Golf? You gotta check out Flatball Collective, an everyday apparel brand inspired by our favorite sports of Ultimate and Disc Golf. It's designed by players from around the world who also happen to be talented artists, and each item represents a unique perspective of the sport. I personally love my Disc is Life sweater because it's super comfortable, and I get to wrap my favorite sport off of the field as well. Tees, hoodies, toques, towels, mugs, and more. Pick up your favorite item today online at Flatball Collective on Instagram or flatballcollective.com. Use code ONEANDONLY15 to get 15% off your order. That's code ONEANDONLY15 to get 15% off your order. Now with all that done, let's go. This week's guest is Antoine Davis. Antoine has played for San Francisco Revolver and multiple American Ultimate Disc League teams, including the San Francisco Flamethrowers, San Jose Spiders, and DC Breeze. He was an AUDL All-Star in 2019. He is set to play for the Atlanta Hustle of the American Ultimate Disc League and Atlanta Chain Lightning, a club open team, in 2021. He played with Revolver from 2017 to 2019 and was a practice player in 2016. With Revolver, he won a national championship in 2017, came in second in 2018, and a World Club Championship that same year. He was also named Ulti World's 2018 Club Male Breakout Player of the Year. He played his college ultimate with Virginia Tech Burn. Prior to playing with Revolver, he played with Washington, D.C. Ambiguous Gray, a club mixed team, leading them to two national championship appearances in 2015 and 2016 with their best finish in 2016 being 6th place. Antoine is a life coach and a coach for Game Point Performance and currently lives in Atlanta, Georgia. Here is my interview with Antoine Davis. Alright, so I'm here with Antoine Davis. He's recording on a hot Atlanta, Atlanta, Georgia. So excited to have Antoine on all the way from there. So Antoine, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Glad to be here. Super excited. Yeah, we're ready to talk some Ultimate and his journey. Some of you may know him from his time with Revolver, but that's not really where he got his start. So he actually played on a club mixed team out of Washington, D.C., and we'll talk about that in, in his university days as well. So Antoine, why don't you bring it all the way back to when you first started playing Ultimate? Maybe you don't even remember that time because it was a long time ago, but talk about how you got into the sport, what motivated you to continue to pursue it, part of your life's work really as a GPP coach and, and those things as well. I went to a very unusual high school. I went to an alternative school, and it was actually we didn't have any sports at the school. So I actually had to play sports. I had to go to another school to play. But we had a like club frisbee team, and it wasn't an officially a sport. And at that time, it was my sophomore year of high school. 
I used to make fun of those the frisbee players all the time, and because most of them were good friends of mine. And one day they finally got tired of it, and they were like, "Yo, why don't you come out to our practice and see what's up?" I'm like, "All right, I'll dog y'all at your own sport. It's okay. Like I'll I'll do y'all that justice." And I went, and I got dogged left and right because you know I, I didn't know anything about frisbee and how to throw a frisbee or you know, how to make a cut or anything, but I absolutely loved it. I was like, this is fast paced. It's constantly going. You're scoring touchdowns. You get to be the quarterback. And I was a football, basketball, and track athlete. So if I could be all those athletes at once, I was, I was hooked. And that was like a Tuesday or Wednesday. And that weekend I went to my first tournament and it's kind of then by senior year, of high school, I quit all my other sports to play more ultimate frisbee. You probably uh, heard of this school as HB Woodlawn for uh, from the youth division. So, yeah, cool. And so that first day of practice basically got you hooked for like basically till now that day. And so you mentioned a couple things that it was like fast paced and combined different sports. Was there anything else that really appealed to you about ultimate that was different than the basketball, football, and track that you were doing? Yeah, at those times, especially in high school, and I was, like, dealing with a lot of, like, kind of self-identity, self, like, self-confidence issues, and in football and basketball and in track, you could be, like, the hero of the team one week, and you could be the zero next week, and just based on one play, right, and, and it's kind of like do or, do or die in those sports, at least in the environments I was brought up in, and... I re- distinctly remember dropping a pass in Frisbee. Like, several of my teammates looking at me like, like, get up, come on, get going. Like, they, they were like, shake it off, let's go. Like, you still have a game to play at all. Like, I almost froze in that position. I was like, wait, you're not making fun of me right now? Like, Not yelling at you like a coach would, right? And, and then, it like, I probably stopped for like two seconds, then continued to play. But that was like a key moment. And I was like, I'm going to like this. I'm going to like this. You spent your time with HB Woodlawn, and so what did that teach you in terms of ultimate to get you ready to play in college and then eventually club later on? Yeah, so also in the high school division, it, I was extremely lucky, especially at the time I had a coach, and that coach was a very knowledgeable coach, and his name was Will Smolinski, and he, uh, you know, coached truck stop DC Breeze and DC Current. And not at the time, but he went on to do that. And even though I've been playing sports nearly since like I was five, he was probably one of my best coaches I've ever had. And he was just such a stoic figure and like had such wisdom. Like you were just so drawn to all his, like every word he spoke. Uh, Yeah, that really kind of leapfrogged my progress into like college and to eventually the club and pro. And the and the question uh, in terms of college, uh, something I ask a lot of athletes who play college ultimate is, you picked Virginia Tech for the school, and so a, a question I like to ask uh, college players or who, people who played in college is, why did you choose the school? So did you pick Virginia Tech for ultimate purposes, or maybe just program purposes, mix of both? What was that like? It was definitely not because of Ultimate. I've been a Virginia Tech fan ever since elementary school. I was a huge Michael Vick fan. And since I like played 10 years of football, it was just kind of like I knew from then on, I was like, I'm going to that school. 
And even though I quit football by the time my senior year, I, it was just so ingrained in me that I was going to go there. Yeah, as a college football fan, I know uh, Virginia Tech has the big, uh, I believe it's the Enter Sandman entrance, right, when they go when they go into the game. So that's a big one. Michael Vick being a, a big-time player there. So did you play quarterback, like, in high school? What position did you play, like, in football? I, I played uh, cornerback and uh, wide receiver. Kind of makes sense based on uh, what we've seen you do on the ultimate field. So, And uh, as a student there, this is uh, off-the-cuff, non-ultimate related, but... Did you go to a lot of the games? Were you like one of those rabid fans that was just at every football game, like season tickets kind of thing or what? For the first two years, I was definitely like all into it, but it kind of lost its lust around junior year. And I was more of just like, I attended the tailgates and just wanted to, to hang out with my friends mostly. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. Maybe it coincides with Virginia Tech not doing well. I'm not sure, but uh, probably <laughs> in terms of uh, in terms of your time with Ultimate, Unfortunately, Virginia Tech not making it to the national stage, but probably having some good regional matchups as well and, and playing in some decently big tournaments. So what did college prepare you for in terms of uh, your career eventually in club and then uh, pro as well with the current of the defunct now MLU and then the DC Breeze later on? The thing about my college experience, I, it was ingrained with me. It was like persistence and grit, especially in the Virginia Tech environment. It wasn't like when I hear about other people's ultimate uh, college ultimate experience, it always seems kind of like nurturing and like less aggressive. But back in those days, we were just very like kind of brutally honest to each other and never gave compliments, really. We were always like, you could be doing better at this. You could be doing better at this. And that kind of grittiness made us regional contenders, but we can never push the button to go to national nationals and it's honestly probably what ultimately held us back as well because you know you don't have that like kind of general sense of love to like for your teammates and also we had uncw and unc in our region so when you have the two of the top five contenders in there it's kind of disheartening <laughs> the atlantic coast region and uh now you know in in recent years uh Virginia tech has made it and then you got like William Marriott has made it at one point, Georgetown, NC State, I believe as well. So a whole mixed grab bag of uh, Atlantic Coast regional teams. And so you brought up an interesting point that hasn't really been brought up before on the podcast, which is a lot of times we, we talk about college teams very positive, right? And uh, we get that. And so you mentioned something about certain attitude, you know, with your team. And so do you think that's something that is sustainable for like a program or something maybe that or maybe it does fit an identity for a program. I'm not sure what you think about that. Well, if you look at kind of like the data and the, like the people who still play Ultimate, I'm like the sole survivor <laughs> of my pro- program. Uh, a lot of uh, the teammates who graduated with me and the even the teammates b- before me and after me, a lot of them stopped right after college. And maybe that's like the continuum of most college players, but uh, it seems like that like I'm one out of like 50 people who still play club ultimate that's a very interesting stat line and so what would you encourage maybe some coaches or program builders that may be listening to audience college programs club programs what would you encourage them with kind of what you learned through your experience as a player there really that we i think it's mainly because we're so focused on finally becoming a national team we just were clawing and scratching at each other to get there and we didn't realize like 
the whole point is just to have a great experience with each other. And, and that's like 99% of it. And you only can, at least from my point of view, you only realize that when you, you know, when you finally leave it and maybe we would have had more success if we actually fostered more brotherly love on those teams. Yeah, you hear uh, analogies like, you know, going to war with your teammates. I know Brett Matsuka, who's been on and who's actually playing on the DC Breeze, not sure if your timelines cross paths there on that team. But with Brett, he talked about uh, storming the beaches in Normandy with his teammates and knowing that, you know, we might not know what's going to be happening when the fence goes down, but he wants to know that all his teammates are with him going in the same direction and sort of that aspect of brotherly love, right? Like just doing things together. So totally get that. And so after your college career, you played for, as I mentioned in the bio, a mixed team out of D.C., the D.C. area, ambiguous, we're trying to figure out the real name, ambiguous or ambiguously gray. So made it to nationals twice, which is really cool. So what was that like playing in the mixed division? Did you make a conscious effort to play mixed because of your college experience or had nothing to do with it and you just kind of wanted to play with some friends on that team? My junior year... I wanted to play for an elite club team and I was kind of deciding what kind of experience I wanted to have in club so I could thus bring it back to college to make, you know, help us. And I knew, especially my junior year, I was going to have to step up and be the dude for my college team. So I wanted a club team that was going to allow me to play more of that kind of role. And I ultimately was deciding between Truck and Ambiguously Gray and just talking through... Actually, Truck kind of like pushed me away in a sense where like I thought I had a great tryout. I was like, they're definitely going to be like, you know, kind of give me the silver platter. And because like there are points in the tryout where I was locking down some of their best players. It was like, you're you're definitely going to give me a spot. And they were kind of like nonchalant and like, yeah, you, you could probably be on the team. And I was like, especially with my ego back then, I was like, that's disrespectful. <laughs> hey, at least you're acknowledging it, right? On the podcast. I like the vulnerability. That's good stuff. <laughs> and AG, they just saw like, yeah, this bo- uh, this man has a thing we want and we'll do whatever it takes to get him over here. And they like gave me the respect that I thought I deserved at the time. So I went with them and um, and I never looked back after that. Yeah, in uh, 2016, you had a unique year because you're playing with that team coming in sixth at the Nationals. But also, as I found out now, uh, you're also practicing with one of the elite men's club teams, uh, a name that most of the audience would know, Revolver. So how did that work where you're playing with a mixed team, but you're also practicing with a team that's literally across the country? Yeah, so in 2016 was my fifth year, and I was deciding kind of where the next steps in, in life were going to be. And the one thing I could only really figure out is like, I know I love Ultimate. <laughs> and uh, I decided at the beginning of 2016, I was going to just chase that and figure everything else out. So I knew the best team was out there in San Francisco. And I just slowly started looking for jobs in that area. And I landed one. Yeah, I got there in August. And luckily, the year before, I played half a season with the D.C. Breeze. And with Alex Gessier, you know, being a former coach of them, emailed to Mike Payne, said, yo, you got to check this guy out. 
he's uh in his own words it's like kind of the next big thing and mike took his word i went up to their practice and it was so funny this so i go up and mike Payne doesn't tell anybody i'm coming <laughs> so there's just like random guy pull up and i'm like in shock right like the bow is like one of the main reasons i joined i was like if there are men out here jumping over other men i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna play this sport so I, I see him i see yeah i just see all all my idols out there Ashlyn Joy, Robbie Cahill, probably, you know, Rasmussen out there. Yeah, I'm just froze. I was a big fan of George Stubbs, too. And um, then Yo Kawaoka, the co- uh, assistant coach, comes up to me. It's like, hey, man, this is a close practice. Like, I don't know how did you find out where this was. It was like, actually, Mike, uh, Coach Mike invited me. He's like, oh, classic Mike. He didn't tell anybody. It's like, welcome. <laughs> so, it's your initiation, it sounds like. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So, and he's also not there. <laughs> This makes it 10 times worse. Right, yeah. So he's like 15 minutes late to practice himself. And so I like begin warming up with him. And he like introduces himself. And then after the warmups, they go straight into like three on three. I believe I uh, match up with Seth Reinhardt. He was an old uh, Ironside player that just moved to the Bay Area. And I matched up to him. I lock him up in three on three. And people were just like, who is this guy? just like locking one of us up then i started to go we go into sevens i get some blocks i get a block on bow i start uh, throwing some goals and we did like some kind of speed drills and i'm like the fastest one there and they were like like basically who the heck is this guy and why have you not heard of him <laughs> after that so i was invited to the next practice that was saturday was sunday and after sunday Actually, Mike invited me to join the team. He literally gave me an offer to be a roster player. And I was like, that is such an honor. But I, I couldn't do that to my um, you know, AG. Wow. So um, even though I could have been you know, on the stage, I chose not to. You know, Antoine, that's like pretty humbling just to hear that. Like you got that shot, right? To be with the team that you've always wanted to play on, right? a team you idolized and you chose to be loyal to your AG team there. And so, yeah, kudos to you. I'm not sure many people would do that. So love to hear it. So, you know, 2016 wraps up, 2017 rolls around and sweet honor, right? You get to play with the team you've idolized and then you win a national title against double wide in the final. You started there on the D line. How did the year go for you overall? And and what was it like at nationals to get kind of an increased role as well? Even from the beginning, even though I made uh, was a practice player and they invited me on my first tryouts with Revolver in 2017, I was still scared. It was like a bunch of studs. It was a world's level team out there, and tryouts were on like beyond my dreams, uh, difficult and oh, beyond my nightmares, difficult. And um, I'm usually like the most athletic out there, and and granted, I was you know one of the fastest out there, if not the fastest the margin was a lot closer. Like, people are still on my heels and are a lot smarter than me, so they, my advantage goes down. But I kept asking for advice. I kept um, um, getting feedback from all my teammates. All, everyone, like, kind of just really was invested into my growth. I had, like, 10 people talking to me during practice at all times. And at times it was over overwhelming, but around regionals and nationals, something clicked. And I really found like myself again and didn't feel like a kind of a 
like a new newcomer to the sport anymore. I found my rhythm at nationals and I was really able to like make an impact um, at during the national tournament and and we end up winning. Yeah, you mentioned uh, you know my favorite term. You know we hear power lines and things like that, but you're on the the quote unquote kill line, which is like my favorite way to call it that. So. What was it like as a rookie to be on a, the quote-unquote kill line trying to get breaks for your team in the most uh, high-leverage situations? Honestly, it uh, the first time I got called in, it was uh, because it was like a third game at Nationals, and I was just I was just having a tournament, and I was getting uh, se- uh, several blocks each game, and uh, even Soren scoring and throwing goals and scoring some goals that Mike was like, yo, give like let's let the hot hand keep rolling and um he called me on with i just remember being with on with grant and george and two players i really love playing with try to you know replicate for myself so just to be able to pass to them and share the field and communicate with them on the field was like such an like awe-inspiring experience for me that uh yeah it was just it just like motivated me to play even better i was like i I have to play well now (laughs) Yeah, you're on the line with some legends, right? George Stubbs, Grant Lindsley, so makes sense. And uh, a question I have is, you win your first club title in your first year of like Open or Men's Club Ultimate. So how is motivation for you even now, a few years later? Like, Did you feel like it just lit a fire under you more so to just get back there, knowing that you know, the last couple of years you weren't able to second? We'll talk about that in 2018. So is that just more so lit a fire in you to get back to that stage? It did. So I, I will say that after I won, I took, for the first time in like eight years, I took like a month long break. It felt, it felt like an eternity chasing this dream of, you know, winning a championship, really, because I've never really won a championship in, um, in a club setting. Yeah, I, I like took that off. But now I wanted, like I had goals still. That I wanted. My ultimate goal is always is is to be on the world's team. So I was like, all right, this is the perfect, this is the perfect environment to really accomplish that. So I have to take advantage of every single day to really make that increase my chances of that happening. So after that month break, I just I went back at it, and I even probably I I would say I like doubled down my efforts. I actually in two thousand eighteen I quit my full-time job, went to, started my own business, and actually moved into a van so I could train more. I mean, if that's not motivation for you, I don't know what it is uh, there for the audience. Uh, I don't think, Antoine, you know, we're going to talk about your life coaching a little bit later in segment two, but I don't think he's suggesting that everyone just go right now and drop what you're doing and live in a van, but maybe doing things in your life to prepare yourself for success probably is the best way to put it, right? Uh, It doesn't have to be living in a van or it it could be other things. But so in 2018, if people watch this final, they remember uh, what happened. Unfortunately, it didn't go your way Uh, for fans of New York Pony. And they'd be happy to hear that because they they won the title that year. So you come in second there, uh, but you do win Worlds. So a few months before the World Clubs, kind of a weird setting, right? With the indoor (laughs) at the end. And so you also get a cool accolade as well being recognized as the club male breakout player of the year. So that's where people started to, people might have known about you before, but now you're on the O-line with Revolver and obviously Revolver being a well-known team and you're considered one of the top players there if you're on the O-line, right? So 
what was it like getting that accolade and, and knowing that more people are, are hearing about your name? I wasn't expecting that at all. That was, uh, I only learned through that after, like, I just, I think I woke up one morning and it just had a barrage of text messages and saying congratulations. Yeah, that was completely unexpected. And honestly, I was surprised, but I wasn't surprised at the same time because, like, I just knew I was just putting so much time in and effort in and my mental space was just all consumed by Ultimate that it was just like, yeah, I'm going, like, there's no way I cannot get really good at this sport without the time and effort I'm putting into it. There were times that even George and Grant, they literally had told me at Nationals, even though we lost at that, that they could, there were times where I was the best player on the field at times. So it was great to see that kind of growth within that 2017 season, especially in the last two years where I went basically from, yeah, practice player to like one of my idols considering me one of the best players on the team. It's, uh, yeah, just being a crazy, it was a crazy ride. Yeah, I mean, that's a pretty cool journey. And so last couple of questions here of your journey. As I mentioned in the bio, you are, it was announced already. So publicly uh, with the AUDL that you're going to be playing with the hustle there out of uh, Atlanta. So hot Atlanta. And you're also, as we talked off air, laying the cat out of the bag too, going to suit up with another legendary club team in its name and, and kind of prestige in Chain Lightning. So uh, what are you excited about with this new uh, chapter in your journey here, being now back on the East Coast of, uh, of the States? Uh, what are you looking forward to there? I'm most excited to be coached by Miranda, Miranda Knowles, because just her resume alone is just awe-inspiring. And what I've heard from players she has coached, it just seems like a great fit for me. I've always been drawn to more of a player-esque coach instead of like a team-based coach. She, not kind of, she hits the nail right on, that, uh, on, on his head with that. And yeah, I'm constantly seeking growth as a player and yeah, it just seems to fit that perfectly. Yeah, legendary coach for sure. And repping uh, the Atlanta area. I know she's probably coached some high school, still does, right, in that area. And so yeah, really cool to see her giving back to not just the high school community, but also uh, some of the young adults out there as well. And so last question here, Antoine, for this segment, you talked a lot about growth and getting better. So now, uh, you know, this might be opening up a can of worms here, but what's the advice you would give to someone who wants to be, uh, let's just say, you know, maybe you want to be the next Bo Kittredge, right? So maybe there's someone in the audience that wants to be, might be humbling to say, but the next Antoine Davis, right? A guy who comes out of nowhere, makes a big impact on the club team. What's the advice you would give them? I would give them the advice I needed to hear probably five or six years ago. Don't chase the accolades don't chase the titles don't do it for any external factor or recognition because in the end of it all you're probably not going to get those things and it's going to leave you feeling empty when you do achieve them because you'll make them out to feel like they're supposed to like fulfill you in some way and they really don't as a person who has began to achieve some of those things just really start to buy in into like creating the days you really want and perfecting that. And if you keep trying to perfect your days and really enjoy your days that you create and they move you forward and build progress, you'll probably end up building something really great. Sign me up there, Antoine. It sounds like you've read some books on maybe some habits, it sounds like. Uh, 
I, I give a big shout out to a book I read called Atomic Habits by James Clear. Not sure if you've heard of it, but that's uh, it, it's very similar in terms of, you know, 1% better every day means you're going to be, you know, a large amount of percent better within a year. So totally get that. And thank you for sharing that advice. So now, Anton, we're going to lead to talking a little bit about your coaching biz now. So you are a coach with Gamepoint Performance. So for those who heard uh, the episode I did with Goose Helton, you can check that out in the podcast archive as well. So you coach alongside with Goose and part of that program. And with that, though, you also do some life coaching. So why don't you share about what your days look like right now? It looks like, you know, the U.S. is going to get back to playing hopefully this year and nationals will happen. But what have you been doing uh, with your coaching business ventures uh, during the pandemic? Yeah, so especially in the beginning of the pandemic, we took a pretty sizable hit at a game bowling performance because, you know, the ultimate world kind of shut down and we served the ultimate world. So with that being said, I was still, I still wanted to give out my services as much as possible. And I'm a big reader, especially of self-improvement and philosophy. I found that a lot of people, especially people who are following me, they were just like, just down and mild depressions, some even uh, severe depressions. And I wanted to figure out ways how I could help because I've also been in those states and spent long times in those states. And I know what has helped me. So I began writing on my experiences in those in those areas and how I was able to come out of those states. And it started to really connect with people. And I always had this dream about four years into my coaching career that I wanted to become a life coach and really help people really find their greatness in themselves. And during COVID, it really seemed like this is a great chance to exercise that kind of thought process. So I went ahead and started writing and doing some free coaching for people to see um, how it, it would take to the community. And it, and it took well and, and it kind of, not kind of, it did sprout a new business for myself. And um, I'm happy that, that it did, yeah. So you're able to uh, monetize that then is, is what you're saying, able to to obviously serve the community in a positive way, but also monetize it for yourself and, and have a business venture, it sounds like. So that's really cool. And uh, not to give away, obviously, too many secrets for free here, but uh, can you talk about kind of what you do? Like, do you just meet with people virtually and kind of talk about life goals or, you know, it, it probably differs, obviously, for each person, but kind of give like a general gist of what happens there if you can right confidentiality and all that of course i love giving out this information because ultimately what i'm trying to do is like help improve the human race as much as i can and if it's a small portion then let's do that if it's bigger than that i'm even more thankful for that so but basically what i do is i view myself as more as a guide and you ultimately want you have to know where you're at and where you want to go and I try to ask questions and kind of poke at you into places that are going to make you feel uncomfortable ultimately. And because that's where growth is going to happen. And my job as a life coach is to be a coach. And a great coach, in my uh, opinion, is one that really fosters your uh, growth and self-improvement and also doesn't make you dependent on them. Right. If if you look at your sports coach in the middle of the game and actually, hey, what do I do next? That's a failure of that coach, right? Like you want your player to be 
fully engaged with the game and believing in themselves that they're capable of achieving the outcome that they want to achieve. And that's ultimately what my job is to do as a life coach is to help them figure out the situation they're currently handling and figure out their own ways to accomplish their goals. Cool, man. Yeah, we'll definitely have you attach all that information in the show description at the end. And so with your coaching with GPP, is that that's more probably the physical training, right? Less so maybe the, the mental training and aspect. So what do you do there? Is that sort of, uh, I guess, virtual as well, right? You're, you're filming some sessions and things like that with people? So um, mainly what I do with them is we have the brains of our operations. Chris Weiss has created this brilliant program that very well suited for the Ultimate Frisbee program. And what I specialize in is the Elite Platform Game Point Performance. So this is more into taking that program and visualizing it for each client. And what we kind of do there is I usually get on weekly, bi-weekly calls with my clients. We kind of talk about their training program and what has happened, what has occurred, and what were their goals and what equipment, what resources are available to them. So that could be like, equipment, time, energy levels, nutrition, like mentality. And we take all those components and create and kind of tweak the program to best fit their time. So ultimately what I think my job is at Game Point Performance is maximizing your time and effort you put into Ultimate Frisbee and helping you take the path of least resistance to get to your goals as an Ultimate Frisbee player. Mm-hmm. So if someone says, you know, I don't have weights, Antoine, or I don't have this, like, you can help guide them in, in, in that. And so that makes sense. And so that's kind of more, it's more uh, personalized than the, the general program that people can get, right? So it's, it's like a kind of a tier up, right? Right, we, I, I focus on that. But we definitely have programs that was, it's more generalized, it's more, and honestly, more affordable, because some people, you know, just casually want to play Frisbee. And we have a program just for that. And you still get better if you uh, follow that program as well. But if you're really trying to maximize your time, then you, can, you should probably should come talk to me. All right. So there, you got your pitch, right? If you want to... Uh, so you're, what you're saying, Antoine, is if people train with you, they're going to be able to jump as high and as run as fast as you. Is that what you're saying? Nah, I can't, I can't sell black magic. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. I mean, you can train and get better, but she can't sell black magic. So that's uh, pretty funny there. And so we talked about goals earlier, so we'll kind of end with this for the day-to-day because I think it just relates to your ultimate training and as you focus and try to get better. What are some goals that you still have as a player, right? You've won a national title. you won a cool club award. You said Worlds is out there as a possibility. I know we had talked about this offline that you decided not to either try out or participate with the national team. Is that correct? Uh, in 2020, what was that? Uh, maybe talk about that and maybe some of the goals you, you have as well. In 2019 was kind of a hectic year for me. A lot of like quite a twist and turns for that. And really ultimately was began. The tipping point was began with the announcement that the Olympics will not be accepting beach ultimate Frisbee as one of its sports. That was kind of my goal this for the last seven years that was like my north star and i was like that's the reason why i moved out to san francisco that's the reason why i pursue this is so i can become ultimately an olympic athlete and because i've just been so infatuated with sports all my life that seems like you know that that is the mountain with that being kind of taken away from me i was a bit distraught 
like I was literally walking through like grocery stores. It was like, what am I doing here? I was just, <laughs> just walking. <laughs> I decided to continue 2019, finish my season. And actually in 2020, I was going to take a year off and figure out if Frisbee was something I was going to really pursue or was I pursuing it for myself or was it, was I truly pursuing it in just for this goal? Cause if it was just for this goal, like I said before, it, it, even if I got it, I was going to ultimately being left unfulfilled by achieving that goal. So through some, you know, kind of introspective work, I found that like, yeah, I really do love playing this. I love the grind. I love day to day. I even like the blisters of you get from playing two day tournaments after eight games. Like, I, I love that everything about it and the world had to stop playing ultimate as well in 2020. So that really made me figure out what I needed to do to start really liking my day-to-day interactions uh, with my, especially with myself. So I started finding kind of the training schedule and hourly schedule that I really started to like. And that's when kind of this really this this unbelievable fire just started to light up in in my heart about ultimate ultimate and that's why i've been grinding so hard for almost a year and a half now with this uh with for ultimate and that's why ultimately to go back to your previous question that that's why i decided not to participate in the 2020 tryouts is because i knew even if i made the team i wasn't going to have be fully invested into it and i only wanted to be that team if i was going to be fully invested into it and even though i had full confidence i was going to make the team yeah i just didn't want to be in spaces where i didn't have my whole heart into it now that i've kind of found my fire again and really am motivated i'm really ultimately want to can still continue to attempt to make this olympic team even though I might be 35 at the time that, that that might happen, if Tom Brady can still play football at the level he's playing at and LeBron James can play basketball at the level he's at at their age, I think I can play Frisbee at 35 at the Olympic uh, level. So that's still my goal. And hopefully I can uh, make this world's team in uh, next year. Yeah, that's uh, pretty cool stuff there, Antoine. I appreciate you sharing that. And uh, yeah, if uh, that does happen and you make the Olympics, we can say on the podcast that you uh, put that out there first. So we'll see this as almost like a, uh, like an archive, right, of, uh, of your proclamation of what's going to happen. So we're going to move to segment three, talk about your favorite and least favorite game. So which one do you want to start with? Let's go with least favorite. All right. So why don't you hit us with your least favorite game you've ever played in? Yeah, I actually wrote kind of a article about this on my Instagram it was actually in 2019. Most people would probably think it to be my 2018 loss against Pony, but it's not. It was in 2019, and it was our loss against Chicago Machine, and that was the most painful loss is because it was the first time that I was not given the chance to win the game, especially to my ego, because that's how I, I thought I was the best. I thought I was literally the best version of myself at that point. I was like, my throws were on point. I didn't have a single turnover the entire tournament so far. And we played five games. And I couldn't believe I was not being... I didn't play the last four points of that Chicago Machine game. 
and I just was in disbelief. And I completely shut down after that game, even though we had to go play our Constellation game right after that. Because of that game, that's been a, a major fueling point into the fire I had now. And so any coaching staff who sees me, has me as a player, will not even think twice about putting me in when the game's on the line. I want to be so obvious of a choice that it's not even coming coming to a second decision because that hurts so much because I literally thought I was at the pinnacle of my career and at the pinnacle of my career wasn't given a chance to display it. Yeah, I appreciate you sharing that, being vulnerable, right? I think that's something that you've displayed this whole podcast, so thank you for doing that and now I know, Antoine, that was kind of sad, but hopefully you can go into a happier uh, time here and, and share your favorite game that you played in. Definitely my favorite game was 2018 World Championships, the, the championship game, because, yeah, I was given the honor of O-Line on Revolver. That was our first tournament. <laughs> the World like the world's Championship was our World Tournament, and I was given the honor uh, to play O-Line, and... I remember at the beginning of that tournament, I was just like, don't mess up. <laughs> just don't mess up. And I had constant criticisms of myself, but it was unjust because even though I was not playing as well at practice, I also wasn't giving myself grace because I was playing against some of the world's best D-line players. And of course I was not like, you know, dominating the way I wanted to dominate because, you know, my teammates are really good. And after the first two games, I was like, oh, yeah, there's the swagger. There's the swagger that's back. And, um, and we started running through teams um, and kind of doing what Revolver used to do, I guess. I found my swagger. And especially in that finals game, I am a person that loves energy. And I love when people, the spotlight's on me. And especially with so many people so close and that noise and... Oh, that was just and and when I learned it was indoors, bruh, I I am so good indoors <laughs> because it's just jump balls <laughs> left and right and and that, that's like what drew me to ultimate in the first place is the jump balls. Yeah, the my teammates put me in positions where I could uh, get to display that strength of mine, and um, I hosted some uh, roof parties during that, and I actually ended up winning. Uh, Colony uh, voted me MVP of the game, and that was just such an honor. It was just like, yeah, I am, I'm making waves in the sport, and, and it felt great. Yeah, I could imagine. I, I remember watching that finals and, and all those games and just seeing the buzz, right? It's just, you know, there's this rain delay, you know, there's winds and all this weather, and kudos to WIFTIF, all the tournament organizers, everyone just figuring that out so quickly, getting a soccer dome and or soccer facility or and just being able to run that that must have been such a unique experience that probably you'll never experience again right that indoor world's club final like that's just something really cool that you can pass on for years and years right yeah just the story behind it was was just crazy because we ended the semis before we at we ended a half against goat and because it was basically like tornado like weather and they said, like, are right, we going to stop games? We're going to play the next game. We're going to play the second half of this game tomorrow. But, and like, an hour after we get into the hotel, our captain, Lucas, he was like, yo, be prepared for anything, though. Like, you never know. Just be ready. And we're like, okay, Lucas. 
and me and my teammates, we like go into the jacuzzi trying to, you know, cool off. Like, you know, you think it's like we're about to go get dinner in like 30 minutes. Then Lior, my teammate, just uh, he's like, yo, we have to be in the cars in 15 minutes, like, and get like game ready. And so we just like, don't even dry off, just book it to our hotel rooms, gather our all our stuff. And I'm leading warm ups like 25 minutes later in this indoor facility. And we were playing the rest of the semifinals right then and there. I was definitely dehydrated because I was in the jacuzzi. <laughs> but, you know, you gotta, you gotta make it happen. <laughs> yeah, I, I've seen video of that uh, first half of semifinals against Goat. And I just see the skies getting constantly darker and darker as the game goes on. And so you're like, okay, well, obviously I know what happens. But I'm sure when people are watching that, they're like, uh, this isn't going to go well. Like, it's supposed to be you know afternoon or whatever and the skies are getting darker and darker so totally get that so cool stories there and and cool memories thanks for sharing that last segment here rapid fire we're gonna do some ultimate questions first so first off yeah what throw do you prefer your flick or backhand oh for sure my flick what about hammer or scuba hammer okay you have a choice here you're either gonna drop a pole or drop a catch in the end zone Oh, end zone. Easily. That seems to be the, the more uh, typical choice here. What about, um, I mean, you've won a gold medal, but pretend you haven't. So you can win uh, five silver medals or one gold medal at nationals, but that gold medal, you never make the finals before or after that point. Oh, gold. Got to be great ones, right? That's uh, That's the thing. Some hot topic issues now. Should Ultimate be renamed to something else? Ooh, that's an interesting question. Probably. Do you have a name for it, though? I would call it just Frisbee. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's uh, You're not the first to say that. What about, uh, you've played, obviously, in the semi-pro leagues, the pro leagues there. And you've also played club. So, you know, referees, observers, that kind of debate. So, should Ultimate have refs? Like, overall. Like, let's say at the world's level, you know, if it had gone to the Olympics, right? I think if we truly want it to exist amongst the most popular sports i think refs are a necessity it's just to make it quote-unquote mainstream or i don't know i i mean i haven't really ever told my view on it but it's sort of like because i asked other people but part of it's like if you watch the nba finals you would never see players calling their own fouls like it'd just be the most absurd thing like lebron would just call not just LeBron, any player would just be calling fouls left, right, and center because they do that normally even with refs. So that's always uh, kind of interesting. So you bring up a good point. I'm, I'm not sure everyone agrees, and that's why we asked this question or asked this question. What about, uh, I think I know your answer to this, but I'll ask it anyway. Uh, should Ultimate continue to pursue its place in the Olympic Games? Yeah, I wish it was grass, but I'm down to kick off my shoes and play some beach. Yeah, that, I would say... Uh, from my perspective, I think if it is to get in the Olympics, I think co-ed beach is probably what will get the IOC and, and the the upper heads uh, that be there to accept it. I think that's most likely the case. I'm not sure if you think that as well, but I, I agree. And uh, so now some non-ultimate questions. These ones are going to, you know, take a little bit of brain space here. So I'm going to give you a chance to share a meal with three people in the course of human history. So they could be alive, they'd be brought up from the dead, but you're going to be sharing a meal with three people. So who are they going to be? LeBron James is definitely one of them. Malcolm X 
And honestly, yeah, Kobe. Okay, so LeBron, Malcolm X, Kobe. No MJ in there. So, you know, I'm going to have to ask a follow-up to this is who's the GOAT of basketball then? Because of, um, you know, I'm going to ask based on your choices of your uh, dinner guests there. Definitely MJ. The reason why I, I chose those people is because I think all around those are great men, and I have not heard that aspect from MJ. He's just like really good at this 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 one thing. <laughs> yeah, and I mean uh, maybe the Last Dance. I haven't seen it, but and uh, I know that's shocking. Pretty much every sports fan has seen it, but I know he gets depicted in a certain way, and so yeah, that's part of part of being an athlete, elite level athlete there. And uh, what about you're living out there in Atlanta. Not sure uh, if you have a backyard there. Pretend, uh, you know, you have a backyard if you don't. But you're putting on the Antoine Davis personal concert. You get to pick any bands or artists in the world. Uh, you know, they'd be broken up, Bravo from the Dead, all that good stuff. Uh, so you got to pick the three and the order. So who's opening, who's in the middle, and who's closing out this concert? Drake is definitely closing out the concert. Anyone who's following me on Instagram knows I love some Drake. Hey, rep in Toronto. We like it. We like it. I'll probably put, ooh, Kanye second before Drake. Right before Drake, and dude, I gotta, I gotta start off with some, some R and B, right? So, dude, probably Usher. Oh man, throwing it back with some Usher. Okay, I like it. Usher on there, yeah. I mean, I think you're, yeah, that's that's a pretty good mix. Like Usher, Kanye West, and Drake, you know, pretty much uh, ma- mainstream uh, artists there that people would know. And so last question here. I'm going to give you all the talent. You have a lot of talent, obviously, in Ultimate and other sports, but you have all the talent now, okay, of all sports. So you can't pick Ultimate. Uh, what sport would you play? What team would you play for? Or what individual sport you might play, like, you know, tennis at Wimbledon or golf, Masters? Uh, what would you pick? If... The concussions thing weren't, if like that was solved, I would go back to playing football without it, with it, like without shadow of a doubt. Do you play flag football like on the side there at all? Or is that something you've ever dwelled into? No, because honestly, I'm, I've seen it and they just play a little bit too rough. I'm so self-aware of injury, bodily injury. So I, I don't leave that up to chance. Yeah. And, uh, okay. So. In this Maple Leaf world, you're playing football. Are you playing in the NFL then for what team? The Washington football team then, I guess? Or <laughs> I, I did not like them when I was even there. Honestly, I would probably play for the Ravens. The Ravens. Wide receiver? Wide receiver, yeah. Especially with Lamar. I, I mean, I, I grew up, I love the Baltimore Ravens. And I really like them because like, I love the vibe they give off. I love the energy. They're kind of the, like the bad boy, rowdy. Yeah, the Ray Lewis. Ray Lewis helped with that back in the day for sure. Yeah, so may- maybe you could play like kind of the wide receiver. We see this in college a little bit, definitely in high school, but not in the NFL. Like wide receiver, defensive back combo. So you play both ways. You're playing like every snap, just not special teams. That'd be kind of cool, right? <laughs> I'd be dead. Yeah, that'd be a good mix. So Antoine, I know uh, you know time has flown by here and uh, our episode has come to an end. So... You you mentioned your Instagram multiple times. You mentioned your life coaching business as well. So why don't you sh- talk about that right now? I'll make sure to jot that down, put that in the show description if you want to check it out there in the audience. And also, Antoine, maybe some of the games that you've been a part of. I know you've been a part of a lot now. 
in your club career and and uh, pro career there. So maybe some games that you're that you find memorable that we can also plug in the show description there. All right. So my email is ad eight zero davis at gmail. I don't have an official coaching. I I need to make one, but yeah, that's my email f- so far. My Instagram handles, kind of my main content creation, is Antoine Davis Coach. But your boy is coming out with a YouTube channel soon. You're the first one to hear about this. <laughs> you know, make sure you, uh, what is it the, the YouTubers say? Like, crush that, like, like button, smash it, subscribe, all that stuff. So what, what's your YouTube going to be? I've been floating around some titles, but I think This Is Twan is a good title so far and uh can you spell that for me is it gonna be all one word is it underscores or what's that gonna be like uh i think i i don't know i think youtube allows spaces but uh this space is space twan and twan is (laughs) t-o-i-n-e yeah my name without the a in it what are you gonna be uh dropping there on the youtube like you're not doing like youtube reaction videos you know the music videos and stuff that's like a big hit right now no, definitely not doing that. Uh, it's more of a vlog. I think I live a pretty non-conformist life. And also, since people have been a lot of interested in my day-to-day, especially as how committed I am to Ultimate, so just kind of bringing along people along for the ride and also talking about topics of interest that I think would help people and life in general. Yeah, that's cool. And uh, lastly, there any games? Any games uh, that you want to uh, to shout out as well? I know I asked you a lot of you, so there, there's a lot to you know write down. And also, do you have a website as well, or is it just the Instagram? Just the Instagram right now. So games I would watch. I guess the World's Game. I don't think those games were filmed, but the the one that comes to mind that was filmed was the oh yeah this game. It was. 2018 U.S. Open. I think a lot of people like didn't think I was that good. It was like, yeah, he's that good because he's on Revolver. But it was I played it. It was against a uh, damn. I'm about to embarrass myself. What is that team's? What's that Boston team's name? Not Ironside, but oh, Dig. Dig. It was against Dig. And I'm okay for getting their name because they gave me some disrespect during this game. I scored eight goals in that game. And one memorable one is because this, don't ever call me this, is they call me not a thrower. I've worked so hard on my throwing that I think I'm a pretty elite level thrower. A lot of my teammates would agree with that. And when I I casted this and I turn up field and there's the dig, one dig player just says, not a thrower! not a thrower and i just like look in that direction i'm like not a thrower break the mark immediately and just book it towards the uh the end zone and four players peel off of their own player to stop me and i still run past everybody score a goal and i'm the, the entire time i'm running i'm yelling not a thrower not a thrower <laughs> and <laughs> that like became a chant Every time I almost like every time I score, actually until like for the years following, even they every time I threw a goal, the people keep yelling out of throw. <laughs> Man, that sounds like a, it's on the video, right? Yeah, it's subtle, but like if you were there, you can clearly hear it. Yeah, I mean that's uh that's pretty funny there, and uh, 
I, I'm just going to assume, based on the energy you're bringing here, that you probably just had like the biggest spike of your career after you scored. Or did you just lay it down doing the gentle spike like the, I've been here before? I thought it was so funny because when I threw that throw, I was like, I'm scoring this goal. Because it, it's like one of those... I had one of those accelerations. I was like, I can't believe I'm running this fast. So, And I saw people peeling off, and I was like, there's no way they're going to beat me. And when I catch it, I'm just like laughing because it's just like you just lit a fire under the worst person to light a fire under. After that, I scored that. I, I, that was like my fourth or fifth goal. And I was like, all right, I'm going to score three more and call it a day. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, you end up winning the game, though? Yeah, we spanked them. What matters more is winning the game. I know I know the individuals, right? You want the team to be successful. I know that. We did talk about that. So, yeah, lots of great stories. You can check out those games. I'll even throw the 2017 final. Probably not the most uh, entertaining game, but you won a championship. So, that's pretty cool. Because it, it starts off with a cutoff, and it begins off with me starting with the first block of the game. Yeah. Love that jump ball. <laughs> so, yeah, your favorite thing, right? Jump ball. So, uh, Antoine, really appreciate you coming in, uh, taking time out of your day out of your coaching business and all the ventures that you have to come on and talk about your career, talk about your life and what you're doing and how, try to better other people's lives as well. So thank you for coming in virtually, of course, all the way from Atlanta, Georgia. Thanks, Theo. It's been a pleasure and I uh, can't wait to hear more of your podcast. Yeah, I appreciate that. Keep an eye out for the next episode where I interview Ella Hansen, a handler who has played for the University of Oregon Fugue, Portland Schwa, and Team USA. Ella is also a professional disc golfer who is sponsored by Discmania. In this interview, Ella shares about her college career and the importance of mental resilience, and we discuss her transition into professional disc golf. As always, you can follow me on Instagram at Juan underscore and underscore only underscore sports, and you can check out some commenting highlights on YouTube at Juan and only sports. Catch you listeners on the flip side. Peace.